So tonight we're going to read a few scriptures. What I'm just going to share, uh, just because, I don't know, I just think this is what God would have us anyways, what my uh, private devotion was, what I got from God this morning, and maybe a little bit of what um, I got yesterday too, just a little piece of it. But anyways, in Psalm 143, Psalm 143 and I'll just read these, uh, uh, the 10 verses there. There's 12, but uh, verse 1 says, Hear my prayer, and this is the psalm of David. And of course, uh, David wrote uh, so many of these psalms, but he wrote them always as he was led by the Spirit of Christ. And so verse 1 says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. <clears throat> Give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness, answer me and in your righteousness. <clears throat> and enter not into judgment with your servant, for in your sight will no man living be justified. For the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has smitten my life down to the ground. He has made me to dwell in darkness as those that have been long dead. Therefore is my spirit overwhelmed within me. My heart within me is desolate. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I, stre I stretch forth my hands unto you. My soul thirsts after you as a thirsty land. Selah. Hear me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me lest I be, or like I should become, like one that goes down into the pit. But cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Cause me to know the way wherein I should walk, for I lift up my soul unto you. Verse 9 says, Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies because I flee unto you to hide me. But the Hebrew, and it's very interesting in the margin, says, hide me with you. So deliver me from my enemies, Lord, and hide me with you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God and your spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. And of course, all of these prayers, and this is a prayer of David as we read in the first verse. It is, it is a literal prayer of his. And like we all do, we all experience these enemies at times that come against us. And uh, so if we understand that, we understand Ephesians the sixth chapter where it talks about how we are in in Ephesians 6, 10 to 18, we are, as believers, we are born into conflict. That's what we, the moment we receive Christ as our Savior, there, there began, sooner or later in our life, a conflict. And so David, because of his enemies, is crying out again, and the culmination of it is, with all of his enemies coming against him, he cries out for him to be delivered. And he realizes that his deliverance is going to be 
in the fact that God will hide him in himself. That, that David's prayer is that, God, would you please, would you hide me in yourself? Hide me in yourself. Because that's the place in verse 10 where you will teach me to do your will. That's why when he wrote Psalm 16, <clears throat> he said, I, I will always set the Lord before my face. Because he's at my right hand, I won't be moved. And then in Psalm 16, verse 11, it's in his presence, there is the fullness of joy. And then he said, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So he's praying to be hidden in his presence, in God's presence, where there are pleasures and joys at his right hand to be forever enjoyed. And the reason he's praying that is because when we understand the scriptures, when we understand, for instance, in Psalm 110, uh, verse 1, and in Matthew 22, uh, verse 44, and in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 34, and when we read scriptures like in Hebrews 1, uh, verse 12, and in Hebrews 12, uh, 10, verse 12, that Christ himself is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that's what his prayer is. His prayer is to be hidden in Christ, to be, to be hidden in God, where his enemies <clears throat> be, would not touch him. And his prayer was quite, quite something. <clears throat> What he was praying for, really, is what we all do, we all desire in our life, is we desire to experience what we might call spiritual success. We want to be a success. We want to think the right things. No matter where we are, no matter what trial it is, and our hearts being after him, uh, like David in, in Acts 13, verse 22, that's how God sees us, a man after his own heart who will fulfill all his will because he's going to run and hide in the one who has fulfilled all of his will. That's why Jesus said in John 4, verse 34, that his meat was to do the will of him that sent him and to finish the work. And he had every single one of us in mind. And so we're praying, we, we desire to be hidden. That's why Paul said in Colossians 3, verse 2, that he said to set your mind, in the King James it says your affections, but the, the Greek word is your mind for now, is to set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And then he said, in verse 3 of Colossians 3, <clears throat> for you died and your life is hidden. The King James again says, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The Greek literally says that your life is hidden in Christ in God. We're hidden in him. And so because of that, we have a great and huge measure of success. And that's what we need. The secret to success 
is having Christ, who is success, in control as master and authority in every single circumstance and situation. There isn't anything when the Son of God, the pre-incarnate Christ, he put on humanity and came. And as a man, there wasn't anything that he was not an absolute success in. He is the fulfillment of our success. And when we are in his presence, we experience his presence, we experience the fact that he's in control. He begins to master our thought life with his in our mind. And then that overflows into our emotions and we have him as master and the one who initiates proper thinking because in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. But yes, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to experience that. And when we do, and when we walk in the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 16, we begin to see the fact and realize very much experientially that Jesus Christ, in whom we are hid, we begin to experience all the success of who he is in us and who we are in him. And then he begins to be the master. He masters, he masters my thinking. He masters my emotions. And when that happens, there isn't any circumstance or situation that he is not the supreme master and my only authority. When I'm in his presence and I have him, I have the mind of Christ controlling me through the power of the Holy Spirit, then he and he only has authority over me. Bad thoughts doesn't have authority over me. Fear in 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us the spirit of fear. But when we, through his thinking, through his thoughts, through the word, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, it says. Think of the power that we have. Think of the power that's in Christ as he is in us and we are in him. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love. We get in his presence through being hid in Christ and through thinking with him, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and what happens? He begins to be in control. He begins to get my mind back to focusing on him. Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking away from all that would distract unto Jesus. Who is he? Oh, who is he? He is the measure of my success. He is. And we are hidden in him. And when we are hidden in him, we are positionally, but when we experience the fact that we are hidden in him, there's no wrath in him. We are hidden in one in whom there is no wrath in John 3, verse 36. We've been delivered out of it in John 5, verse 24. There is no wrath for us. We don't face anything because he took our place and dealt with that wrath. 
And so there is no wrath for us in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. There is no wrath for us. We've been delivered from it in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 9. So when I am in his presence, hidden with Christ in God, he takes control. He is mastering me. And then again, in James 4, 6, God resists the proud. Those that think they can do it without him. God resists the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. Verse 7 of James 4, Therefore submit yourself to God and resist the devil. How? Because we put Jesus Christ in between us and and the devil. We put Jesus Christ between us and no matter what the circumstance or situation is, what do I experience? I experience him who is all of my success. All the success that I could ever desire or ever want is already fulfilled in him with him and us as one with us. So he's in control. There's no wrath. Why? Because we what? He has received from God. Think about it. This is where the presence that we hide in, the very presence of God himself, is the fact that Jesus Christ has already received from God for us the wrath that was supposed to be ours, but was made his. There's no wrath. So we can run to God. We can flee to him in a moment. And so we flee to him. Because now in him, oh, in his presence, is all love. In his presence is all boldness. In his presence is all confidence. In his presence is all rest. But outside of him, outside of experiencing The position that we have in Christ is judgment. And that's why David wrote in Psalm verse 2, his prayer towards God, in Psalm 143 and verse 2, he said, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for in your sight no man living will be justified. But where are we hid? We are hidden in Christ. And what is God's view? What is God's sight of us? All the success of Jesus Christ when we received him has been put to our account. Listen, we are a success because we have him who is the complete measure and fullness of success. Us in him and him in us. A bond that can never be broken. And so we have it. And all the success that we could ever want, all the success that we could ever need and could never attain on our own is ours in the success of Christ, in the success of who he is in us and who we are in him. And so to have that kind of success and to understand it, we have it positionally, but to understand it experientially we will always realize the fact that we, in Ephesians 1, 6, have been accepted in the Beloved. We have been accepted. 
and we have been eternally approved in him. Think of how many times we make the mistake or do the foolish thing of looking within ourselves for something that God can approve by maybe something that we should do or shouldn't do. That's not the measure of our approval. The measure of our approval and the measure of our success is Jesus Christ. He's the one. It was his meat, we said in John 4, verse 34, to do the will of the Father and to finish the work. It was his in John 5, 17. And he finished it in John 19, verse 30. He finished it for us. Everything. Everything. He fulfilled every, every one of our desires is fulfilled in him. Every single one of them. And he is my success in the love that has been perfected and been completed concerning you and I in a very personal way. It's been done. I am his success and his approval. Think about that. Does the father consider his son to be a success? Is he approved with him? When the father looks at the life of the son, when he looks at him as the man, the God-man, but as the man seated at the right hand of the father, how does he see him? Is the father satisfied? Does he see nothing but success in him and nothing but overwhelming satisfaction and approval and joy? Well, is he our life? We've said many, many times, we are not trying to live the Christian life. There are so many programs, so many books, so many courses that will teach you how to live the Christian life. Listen, nothing in the Bible teaches you how to live the Christian life. It's not hard, it's impossible. Christ is our life. He's the measure of our success. He's the measure of our approval. And no one thinking outside of Christ can, can, can think of nothing but judgment. But is it true for us, truthfully, that are in Christ? No. Nothing about it is true. Listen, we have been perfected in him. I am a success in him. I am approved in him. There's nothing left to do. Christianity does not begin with do. It begins with done and receive. Even repentance, we have said. In Romans 2, verse 4, it is the goodness of God that even leads us to change our mind. It's his goodness that does it. Listen, Ephesians 2, 8, you and I are saved by grace. What was the hardest thing that, could have ever, that we could have ever even tried to do before God? Save ourselves. Is that, was that... Would have been possible? Could that have been possible for any one of us to save ourselves without Christ? Now, if he's already done that in Ephesians 2, 8, you are saved by grace and even through faith. And even that is not of yourselves and not of works, lest any man should boast. 
Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Why? Because Ephesians 2, 10, we are his workmanship. Think of how many are trying to work their way into having success in themselves before God or to find some means of something that God can approve of them in themselves. It's terrible. And a lot of teaching goes out like that. The fact remains is that he, us and him, as we said uh, the last time I spoke, in Romans 8, verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And the reason that we're more than conquerors is the one who has total control, the one and only one who's master, the one and only one who is success, is Jesus Christ, and he's conquered it all. That's why we're more than conquerors, because we're in the one who dealt with it all. And not only are we in the one that dealt with us all, with all those things that we couldn't do, but he is in us and one with us. And so that's why we can flee to him in a moment in our right thinking. We can do it, and we do do it through the word. Listen, the secret of success. That was something that the apostle Paul was learning even in a greater depth and think about it in prison imagine all his missionary journeys all the preaching and everything this guy's went through the freedom of preaching and now he's chained to a Roman guard in a Roman prison and he says in Philippians 3.10 I want to know him we said recently because Paul wanted to know him because in knowing him and knowing Christ, he would know who he was in him. And then he would see who he was, Christ was in him. He said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. Think about that. Remember what we said in 2 Timothy 1.7? <clears throat> for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. You, <laughs> we have that in us. We have the power of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, and he's in us. And Paul was saying, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. <laughs> Death couldn't keep him in the grave. Oh, boy. Love is as strong as death. In Song of Solomon 8, verse 7, and many waters cannot quench love. No. And when we're hid in him and we think with him, then he who is love in 1 John 4, 8 and 16 is in control. Love controls us. Love masters us. Love brings in all the success of what love is in the very person of Jesus Christ. And so what do, what do we do? Well, Paul prayed, and he could now, after knowing him, Christ, in the power of his resurrection, he said, now I can enter into the fellowship of his sufferings. I can understand them. I have the power of his resurrection life in me 
to go through anything. To go through anything. And then he, he's given me a promise and he's given us a promise that he will fellowship with us through those sufferings. Why? Because we're hit with him. We're hit with him. God in Isaiah 45 verse 15 hides himself. Where is God the Father hidden? But in the most phenomenal manifestation and declaration of his son. And how many miss God? The disciples, they asked him in John 14 verse 8, they said, show us the Father. And Jesus said in John 14 verse 9, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen him. Because in John 10 verse 30, I and my Father are one. We're one. And that's when David said, I want, I'm going to flee to you and I'm asking you to hide me with you. <laughs> what does it mean to be hidden with him? Well, what is God afraid of? What is God not in control of? What is God not master of? And what is God not the ultimate authority over and in? He's in everything. And so Paul was saying, I am, um, there's a depth, um, there's a growth and a depth in me because of the power of his resurrection. And we have to have that and understand that first. The power of that resurrection life, the success of that life that rose. And he rose because he was approved. And he was approved because he dealt with everything. We said uh, some time ago, and, and, and possibly several different times, but God the Father condemned in Jesus Christ anything and everything that could even be used of him to condemn us. That's where we're hidden. We're hid with Christ in God. We're hidden. Think about it. We're the place of intimate fellowship in 1 John 1, verse 3, an intimate depth and an eternal embrace of fellowship. Well, to understand that, to, to, to be able to enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, he's given us the power of his resurrection life. He had to suffer for it. <laughs> and then die and then rise from the dead. And when he did, of course, we rose with him in the fact that he not only died for us, he died as us, crucified the old sin nature in Romans 6, 6, and paid for all of our sins. And uh, what a beautiful thing it is this, this uh, night to understand that we can be hidden in Christ. Who is Christ? He's the very word of God. He's the word of God. <clears throat> and the word is always new. Always. There's always new resurrection life in it, in him. It's always new. And his love is always becoming more and more precious. And there's always something new in the word, always. There's new resurrection life that he's continually imparting to us because it's been imputed to us. 
And so that word begins that life, that resurrection life, the power of that word, the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit, it nourishes the soul and it reveals to it the love of God. And not only does it continually reveal through an experience the love of God, but it always reveals his way, God's way, God's will. And it is by the very word, it is by the very word that we live in this passing world. You know this world that we're in? It's on a collision course with eternity. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, 29, the time is short. He said in so many other places throughout the word of God. He said in Ephesians 5, 16, redeem the time. He did. <clears throat> Why? Because in Revelation 10, verse 6, time will be no more. The, the world is on a collision course. The world right now is in this world system, not the earth itself, but this world system right now is in a process of passing away. <laughs> and you and I are passing through. We are passing through this wilderness. 1 John 2, verse 17 makes that very clear. The, word of God, the world is passing away. But you and I have in us Something that in Psalm 119, verse 89, is forever settled in heaven. We have the word. In Matthew 24, uh, verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. That's we're hidden in him who will never pass away. We're just passing through. And what success that we have. And it clearly reveals to us it reveals to us that the world is passing away, but it's constantly revealing to us what isn't passing away. And we have everything in Christ that will never pass away. And believe me, everything that we have and passing through here in time will be ours to experience in the newness of an eternal life for all eternity. The fellowship around what we pass through with him as we were hidden here, hidden in this world system. world never knew him, never received him. In John 1.10, he came into the world and the world knew him not. <laughs> he came unto his own in John 1.11 in his own nation and they rejected him. But in John 1, 12, but as many as would receive him, to them he would give the power to become the sons of God, to them that would believe on his name and believe in his nature. Believe the way that John did when he said, oh, he put on humanity. We beheld him. We beheld him. The word became flesh. And we beheld him. And we saw glory coming through. We saw, we saw his sonship. We saw his, his deity. We saw his glory coming through his humanity. And we saw him. And he's our very life. 
and he would continue to reveal to us the power of a resurrection and would be with us in intimate fellowship through sufferings. And that's why Paul would say as we close in Colossians 1, verse 24, he is filling up the sufferings of Christ. In other words, if Christ had stayed here, all the sufferings that you and I that come towards us would have come toward just him. But because we're one with him, there is a measure of sufferings that he's allotted to us for us to fellowship with him right now in time, but in an awesome, intimate way throughout all eternity. And that even goes into, in Revelations 2.17, the white stone, which is inscribed the new name. And that speaks of an intimate, one-on-one fellowship with Christ for all eternity, about the power of resurrection in our mortal, these little fragile clay jars in 2 Corinthians 4.7, fellowshipping with him in suffering as we pass through to, to pass into what can't pass away. And then finally, God would have us to understand this, that in Hebrews 12, 25 to 29, thank God is going to shake things in our life. He does, because he's going to shake in our lives what can be shaken. So that finally, what remains in us is what can't be shaken. And that's called Christ in us, everything that he's accomplished, who he is and what he's accomplished in our little fragile clay jars as we pass through. And all that in the world system is just passing us by. It's like we're on a journey or taking a trip across country and we just keep going and things pass us by until we finally get to our final destination. And that's why the Bible makes it very clear. Really never even talks about a believer going to heaven. It talks about him to go to be with Christ. And that's where we're headed. And so that's why we can experience, and that can be our experience, the success of him who loves us. So Father, we thank you and we praise you for this, for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.